Hey guys, this is part one with Hannah Etlenstein. And the reason it's part one is because, trigger warning, we're talking about miscarriage and we are going into a lot of details. There is so much that we need to talk about, about a natural miscarriage at home and options and what that looks like and how to prepare for a miscarriage. And so that's what we're tackling with Hannah in part one. And then in part two, we're going to get into her birth story. So it's really important to listen to both episodes. And so I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up that today's episode is going to be really hard. If you know someone who needs this information, will you please share it with them? It's so important that we talk about miscarriage, DNC, DNA, and natural miscarriage at home and what that looks like and what that feels like and how to recover from it and the support that you need around it. Okay? Let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions, pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition, and like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences, how to take care of your baby. I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan? I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy, and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy, and you are ready to crush that birth. Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Hannah. Welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me, Heidi. I am so excited to talk to you today about your birth story with your son, Isidore. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the, your birth story, home birth, um, a miscarriage. And I just appreciate you like sharing so that others can learn today. Um, mm-hmm. As we dig in, Hannah... Could you just tell the audience a little bit about 
who you are and where you live and what makes you you. Yeah, so I'm Hannah. I live in Toronto, Canada with my husband, Luke, um, who is from the UK. And we live with our son, Isidore, who is uh, just turned two years old. I'm a massage therapist and a Pilates instructor here. Um, I work with a lot of pregnant people, uh, postpartum. It's kind of become a bit um, like in my practice quite much, even though I didn't intend that to happen. It kind of just happened. I work with a lot of pregnant people in postpartum. So I've been leaning into that lately and doing a lot more continuing education in that area. And I'm actually just about to start a doula training program. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Round of applause, Anna. <laughs> Welcome to the doula world. Thank I you. Okay, you guys listening. Pilates, yoga, stretching, massage. Like my clients call me, my private doula clients, and they're like, you know, four weeks pregnant when they find out and hire me. And they're like, what do I do? And I'm like, listen, if there is like, a few things that you have to do throughout your whole pregnancy. It is balancing your pelvis. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to do Pilates. You have to keep your core strong as that mm-hmm. core grows. You've got to keep your core strong. Massage keeps everything healthy and in balance and releases oxytocin and makes you feel good. Chiropractic care. Like all of these things are really important to the point, Hannah, as you grow your doula business, Mm-hmm. They are included in my packages. So I a good idea. I'm so good. I'm like, listen, when you call your partner and you're like, we're paying for a doula, I'm like, guess what? You also have to pay for. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my doula said I have to have a massage with her massage therapist two times, you know, and I have to go to the chiropractor and I have to do Pilates. It's so incredible. I just had a client who came to see me for a massage on her due date and literally on her walk home went into labor. Yes. And it was so incredible. Yes. Yes, she did. Okay. So we're talking about your birth story with Izzy Isidore. I had a dual client named Izzy and she had the massage with her massage therapist at like 4 p.m., Went into labor as soon as it was over at 8 p.m. and delivered it 2 a.m. I'm like, wow. the power of the release of oxytocin in mm-hmm. physical touch massage. I mean, mm-hmm. amazing. So I love what you do. I love what you give to this world. Um, healers, especially physical touch healers, I mean, make the world go round and make our lives longer and better and our pregnancies better. So let me know when you're a doula. Let's, I'm so excited. I want to refer okay. everyone in Toronto to Hannah. Okay. Perfect. Do you have a website right now? I do. Yes. Okay. It's my full name. Okay. So Hannah Etlinstein. how do you, com. yep. So H-A-N-N-A-H-E-T-L-I-N-S-T-E-I-N.com. Okay, perfect. We'll put it in the show notes too. Um, Okay, I love love. Everyone on the podcast knows. So Luke, you met and he's from the UK. Yeah, we met when I was living in the UK. I went to do a master's degree there. Okay. And we met and I stayed there for two more years and then we moved back to Toronto together. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. What's your master's in? It was in dance science, which is kind of a funny area. I, I, my background is in dance. I was a dancer for many, many years and I studied in university and that was kind of what drew me into the kinesiology area and then massage therapy. And it's kind of just all gone from there. Pilates. Yeah. I cannot wait to see what you're going to do after you like move through this doula training and really Mm -hmm. dig like the birth world is calling you, Hannah. And so like, yeah. And, and it's calling and you can't not run away from it. Right. Mm -hmm. I have a master's in business. (laughs) I worked in corporate America and I tried so hard to like ignore the calling. I'm like, no, no, I'm not a birth worker. Why, why does this keep happening to me? Why am I being called? And then finally, like any good birth story, 
I surrendered and I'm like, oh, my soul is at peace. It's like almost like I've been on this earth a thousand times and I've been a birth worker each time. And I just had to figure mm-hmm. out how to get here. Same with you, Hannah. Mm-hmm. Here it comes, you know. All right. Well, we're going to talk about some hard things today and some sad mm-hmm. things. And then we're going to talk about some really light, beautiful things, too. Absolutely. So. Let's start with the um, pregnancy. Were you and Luke planning to start your family? Yeah, we we always knew we wanted children very early on in the relationship. We had talked about it and we were just waiting till the right time. Okay. And in the fall of, I guess that was 2018, we decided that we wanted to start trying. And so we didn't necessarily like actively try we just stopped not trying so we kind of just wanted it to happen we were ready for it to happen and we just what do they say we pulled the goalie yep (laughs) we kind of just let that happen um and I I think I thought I would just get pregnant my mom had gotten pregnant really easily my sister had gotten pregnant really easily but it didn't really happen for us six months passed and we still hadn't gotten pregnant but hopefully you were having some some fun sex. It was really fun. It's a really fun time to have sex when you're trying to have a baby. <laughs> it's it is until it isn't. You know what exactly. I mean? So yes. But you know, the first six months, like it can get a little spicy and fun. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like the possibility, like this could lead to a baby sex. Mm-hmm. A lot hotter. Mm-hmm. Every like, single time you think like, I could be pregnant now. Yeah. And then it's you look really at fun. your person and you're like, this is way hot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you guys clearly were talking about cis hetero couples here, you yes. know, in the luxury of like easily getting pregnant through. Totally. That P, privilege of just yes, having that need. Of P and V mm-hmm. sex, but like, you know, pretty hot for six months. But six months is the point where, you know, the medical community starts going, hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So what happened? So actually, you know, we had a really devastating loss in our family at that time. My sister's partner um, quite suddenly died of cancer in the spring of 2019. And it was just absolutely devastating. And so we kind of just put everything on hold because everything was just going towards that. And also we were just there was so much shock and so much grief, um, in that time. And so we weren't focusing on it at all. And we had kind of forgotten about it. And so when I did get pregnant in May of 2019, it was an incredible shock because I'm pretty sure we had sex one time in three months and I somehow got pregnant after trying so hard Mm -hmm. for what felt like such a long time. So when I got pregnant that first time, I was, we were both really, really shocked. We were really happy, but there were so many conflicting feelings because we were still, you know, we still had so much grief and we were in this time where everything was just so complex. So it was, I wouldn't say that it was a time when we got pregnant and we were just overjoyed. And that was the only feeling that we had. There were so many layers of complex feelings around it. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I like tears in my eyes right now. I can't even because I'm staring at you and you're clearly very young and you have a two-year-old, you know? So like your sister cannot be that old and neither could her partner. How old was her partner? He was 40. He was around 40. So young. I I have a deep need to understand what type of cancer and how aggressive and how did he die? I'm so sorry. I have to like get the whole story. Move yeah, forward. It's, it's devastating. He had melanoma, what? Uh, which is a, and it was a really, really aggressive form. And you know, he was diagnosed, and six weeks later, he had he had died. I cannot even. You're talking like melanoma, like skin cancer. Yeah. Like go to the dermatologist, people. Yeah. Was he a runner or like outside a lot? No, you know, he was a runner, actually. He had recently taken up running, um, which was something that we had really bonded over because I'm a long distance runner myself. It's one of the 
things that brings me the most joy in my life. And I, he had recently kind of discovered running and we had really bonded over that in the last um, year of his life. Um, It was a mole that was uh, on his face and they had found it and they had actually removed it um, a year before and he had gone, he, he had been in the clear. He was getting scans every six months just to make sure. And he started feeling unwell and was having like really tired and was having some pain. So they scheduled a scan. And within that time, it had gone to stage four and had spread to his entire body, to his brain, to his bones, to his organs. Oh my gosh. I mean, we're recording this in 2022, but I'm just sending so much light and love to your family and your sister right now. That is a very devastating loss. I can't even imagine. One of my best friends, Porter, I think I've shared on the podcast before her, when we were in our early thirties, her husband passed away of pancreatic cancer within just a few months. He went from a stomach ache to dead in like a couple of months. And it was just horrifying, especially in a stage of life in our twenties, thirties, and forties where our, our whole life is ahead of us, you know? And did they have any children together? Yeah, so they have a daughter, um, my niece, mm-hmm. and she is six years old now. She okay. was she was just just almost three at the time. It's devastating, you know the 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 trauma and the loss for my sister and my niece has just been extraordinary. And you know, my sister has gone through this. I mean, who can really even? talk? <laughs> who can even mm-hmm. explain no. that type of loss? Uh, she speaks about it absolutely beautifully though. And she has, um, she writes about it and I would encourage anyone to follow her on social media because her writing and her support for anyone who goes through, who is a widow and, um, has gone through a loss like this, any loss really, I think could be really, really incredible to, to read a lot of what she writes. What is her, um, like blog or how can we read her work? she writes a lot um, on Instagram mostly. Mm-hmm. Her, I mean, we can add her her tag in there. It's New Moon Mira. Okay. Yeah, New and Moon she shares Mira. a lot about her experience, and she, um, I know, is a huge support for uh, for many people who have gone through losses like this. Yeah. In case someone's listening and the story is resonating, I hope that you will go ahead and share it with a friend or a loved one. And I also, in case your sister doesn't know, and maybe she does know about Nora McInerney. Do you know Nora? And the like hot widows club. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like I can't even say it, but I'm like, I love that Nora took something so devastating and created a support group that is awesome and empowering called the hot widows club. Yeah. You know, this is one of the first books I read, um, when Brian did die and I was, I was reading a lot to learn about grief and widowhood and yeah, I, 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 I got into some of her writing. Yeah. I love it. So I know we just took a side tangent, but I was like, I can't, you know, when I'm a, I'm a trauma survivor. And so I have to simmer for Mm. just a minute to like Mm. get the full picture because we also have trauma informed birthing. And so I know we're going to move into a period now where we're about to talk about pregnancy and birth and like, um, that in those experiences inform your next experiences. And so it's important that we know where you were going into um, pregnancy and labor. So you, um, Brian dies and you find out you're pregnant. And so there's this like um, yin and yang kind of going on of like grief and joy. Exactly. And and then tell me how that went. Yeah. So I, exactly what you're saying. There was, I I would say every day even fluctuated between, you know, being, feeling so incredibly happy that I was pregnant and then feeling a lot of guilt or shame around that. And then also being deep in this grief and not fully understanding even how I was feeling and the whole pregnancy, it just felt really strange. And I remember thinking throughout the pregnancy that it just didn't feel right or didn't feel 
it didn't feel normal or how I thought pregnancy was going to feel. Okay. Um, so we chose, so how it works in Canada is you can choose when you get pregnant, if you want to go with an OB, or if you want to go with a midwife, both are covered by our healthcare system. Midwives are very hard to find though. There's not many of them and you have to apply for a midwife very early. So I applied like the day I found out I was pregnant. Okay. I told, I think Luke was the first person that knew and then the midwife collective Okay. (laughs) before anyone else. So we knew we wanted, we had talked about this before. We knew we wanted to go with a midwife. Um, we knew that we wanted to look into having a home birth. My sister had had a home birth three, I guess that had been three years earlier and it had been a really great experience for her. And that had, I think, opened my eyes for the first time to a home birth and what that could be like. So we knew that that's very common in Canada, correct? Home births are not that common, actually. They're not that common. Okay, just the midwifery model of care is. So midwifery model of care is more common. However, there aren't aren't that many. There's a real lack of midwives. And I'm not sure the exact reason I, why. I don't think it's, I think it's political. I I think it's political and that the hospitals don't give um, privileges, like that many privileges to midwives. So to be a midwife, you need to have privileges at a hospital. Okay. So I think that there's a political side to this, but it's hard to find a midwife. So I, but I only, I think that only 1% of births are home births in Canada. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's a, it's, it's low. It's about that. I bet that's about what it is in the United States. Mm-hmm. I had to guess too. So, but if you do want a home birth, you have to do it with a midwife. If you are with an OB or a family doctor, you don't even have the option of a home birth. Okay. Same here. So we applied to have a midwife and we very luckily got one. We were put under midwifery care and we were very happy about that. So the pregnancy, I would say the first part of the pregnancy, it, it, I didn't feel much. That's the only thing that I can say. I kept being surprised that I didn't really feel much. I didn't feel, I think for the first week that I was pregnant, I felt a little bit nauseous and then that went away. I didn't feel that tired. I didn't feel nauseous. I didn't have any of those symptoms that people talk about. And I brought that up with my midwives and they just kept saying, oh, you know, some people don't feel that. Like, it's fine. Don't worry. They kind of just phrased it as like, oh, you won the pregnancy lottery. Like, you feel great. Mm -hmm. And you had found out that you were pregnant from a, a, like a urine sample. I'm imagining not an ultrasound. Exactly. So I found out from a urine sample and then we were scheduled for a, dating ultrasound, which we went to. Okay. And the first dating ultrasound that I have, I think I was only five weeks ish, five and a bit weeks. Okay. So they couldn't hear a heartbeat, which they said was normal for that time. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to come back 10 days later to do another one. Okay. So 10 days later, we went back for another dating ultrasound and they did hear a heartbeat. But the first kind of red flag that I remember thinking was that even though 10 days had passed, my dating ultrasound only put me like five or six days later. Okay. So I asked the ultrasound person about that. And and she kind of just looked at me and said, uh, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry. You have a heartbeat. It's fine. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Cause you were expecting them to say that you were six and a half weeks pregnant, but really you were, they were saying five in a few days. It was, I went from like, let's say five weeks, six days to like six weeks, five days. So like, even though 10 days had passed. So that was my first red flag that something was off. But the ultrasound technician kind of just said, don't worry about it. Like Mm -hmm. you have a heartbeat, there's a heartbeat. So just Mm -hmm. don't worry about it. And I remember bringing it up with my midwives again. And they said, yeah, probably the first one was wrong. Okay. It was early. So the time keeps on going on. And again, I just, I didn't really feel any symptoms. And then at 10 weeks, when I was 10 weeks, I had some spotting. Okay. There was a little bit of blood on my underwear. And so just, I remember it, it was a Friday. It was right before the weekend. And 
I noticed this blood on my underwear and I, I told Luke, I was freaking out. I was crying and I just didn't know what to do. And he was kind of freaking out. So we called the midwife. She called us back immediately. That's one of the best things about having a midwife is you can page them and they literally like in a second, call you back. She asked us a bunch of questions. You know, did I have any cramping? No. Um, what color was the blood? It was like a dark brown color. Um, had we recently had sex? Uh, we had, but it had been like four or five days earlier. She I'm, told us. I'm going to interrupt super... right there, Hannah, yeah. too, so that people understand where these questions are coming from mm-hmm. of like normal, not normal spotting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bright red blood spotting can be normal, but it can also be a sign of a like a little hematoma, like a subchorionic hematoma, a little pooling of blood as the placenta and the, where the baby attaches and the placenta begins to grow in the in the uterus. So that can be spotting throughout the first or second trimester can be pretty normal. It's um you're it's more like bleeding, like bright red blood, right? Your cervix is hypervascular. And so if you have penetrative like PNV sex or with a toy or something, the capillaries can bleed in which we would see a more of a brown tinge, right? Mm-hmm. Like it gets oxygenated and then kind of comes out. Um, but that's one of the first questions they asked. That's why she asked you because sex mm-hmm. can often lead to irritating the cervix, which can cause you to bleed. So I want the audience to hear there are many reasons to bleed mm-hmm. in the first and second trimester that are that are not associated with anything bad. And so mm-hmm. there's screening questions that your midwife was going through with you mm-hmm. and seemingly you're passing them is what I'm telling you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm so sorry I interrupted, but I I thought that was really important because I don't want people to think like, oh no, if I'm bleeding, you can be, you can bleed and it'd be totally normal. Yeah. Right. And that's what she said to us after she said, so bleeding can be completely normal in a pregnancy and it can also mean that it's the start of a miscarriage. And she said, at this point, I can't really tell if it's a miscarriage, there's nothing we can do to stop it. So she gave us two options. We could either go for an immediate ultrasound right then if if she felt like for our mental health, that was important. She said, we can also just wait a few days, wait till the, um, it was Friday evening. So it it would have meant like going to emerge really to get this. So we were fine with waiting. We decided that we would just see what happened and we'd check, she would check in with us at the end of the weekend on Sunday night. So the next few days went on. I the, the bleeding didn't change. It didn't get worse. It didn't get better. I still had absolutely no cramping and no other symptoms. What was your gut feeling? My gut feeling was that something was up. Okay. It was a really strong gut feeling too. Okay. And were you communicating that to Luke? Yeah. And he had the same. I think he, you know, he always says like it, one of the hard things is that he was, he's not able to feel what I'm feeling. So he felt a bit removed in that way, but I think he had the same feeling as me, like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but we just went around along our weekend because there was nothing else we could do. And I felt totally normal. So on Sunday night, the midwife called back. We told her that nothing had changed. And she said, okay, well, if you want, we can schedule you for an ultrasound tomorrow. And at that point, we both really wanted that. We just wanted the confirmation. Yeah. So Luke took the afternoon off work and I did too. And we went for the ultrasound and it was a pretty horrible experience that ultrasound because we went in, she started by doing the ultrasound on my stomach. So at this point I'm 10 weeks and a few days and she starts by doing the ultrasound like over my abdomen and you know, they're not allowed to say anything when they do these, but we could see the screen. And on the screen, it looked like the same ultrasound I had had at six weeks. There was no baby there. So in that moment, like Luke and I made eye contact and we were both just like, we knew. Yeah. And so she, I asked her, is there a heartbeat? And she was silent. She didn't say a word. And then she said, okay, I want you to go into the bathroom and pee. We need to do an internal one. So again, at that point, I knew that, you know, at 10 weeks, you should be able at 10 plus weeks, you should be able to see the baby. Baby. Looking kind of like the baby. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, and I knew what 12 week ultrasounds looked like, and this wasn't that far away. So I went to the washroom, I peed, I came back. She starts doing the internal ultrasound and she was so rough. And I was obviously so anxious and so nervous. I was almost crying. And she starts like yelling at me, not yelling, but she starts very aggressively telling me to relax because she's not able to get the wand in. And it was a really horrible experience. (laughs) And somehow I made it through that experience. I think I, it was really painful because I was just so tense and anything obviously being inserted in your vagina when you're really tense. Right. And it's like an instant, like hypertonic, like Kegel around it, like get, you want to reject it. And she was angry at me. Like I was wasting her time. Like it was taking too long. So it was a new job people, right? Like why, why do you work in a maternity office doing labor and delivery and ultrasounds of babies? If you, why go get a different job? Totally. And after my, my doula, who's also my naturopath, who supported me through my birth, she really encouraged me to complain and do a complaint. And I never did, but part of me thinks I should (laughs) still. If she's still there, I would. Uh, Yeah. So anyways, you know, we somehow made it through that. They wouldn't give us any information. They told us they would contact our midwife. But as soon as we left the building, I just like burst into tears. And I mean, we both knew exactly what it, what it meant. So there was a park across the street and we went and we just sat down and I put my phone down and within the hour, the midwife called and she asked us if we were, she said, I have some news and it's not good. Are you in a safe place for me to share this with you? And we said, yes. And she told us that they hadn't found a heartbeat and that the fetus was still, I think, dated at seven or eight weeks. So it had been a few weeks that the baby hadn't been growing. Yeah. And you hadn't started to naturally miscarry for a while. Mm -hmm. Which is why the blood was that dark brown. Yeah. So that was pretty devastating. Um, we I'm both. A, I'm a mess, Hannah. I'm sorry. Oh. I can't ever. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I make everyone cry. It's just, you know. Yeah. It was so a, sad. I, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thanks, Heidi. It was, you know, it was, again, a really, really complex feeling because while we were both so devastated about this loss, we also had just experienced also this like so devastating loss within the last few months. And it was also this reminder that we still had each other. And so, and at at one point after I had this miscarriage, I was talking to my sister and she said to me, she asked me, she said, is this the, the biggest loss you've ever experienced in your life? Is this the most devastating thing that you've ever experienced? And I said, no, losing Brian has still been harder. So there was that um, what's the word? I mean, I had that, we, we still had, we had that within our existence, which I don't know, maybe put this in perspective a little bit. And this is a very personal thing for me. It's not to say that the loss of a, a baby and a miscarriage for everyone would feel that way. It's just for us. We had that feeling. We had that feeling like we're going to try again. We're going to, we're going to make a baby. We're going to have a baby together. Yeah. I think yeah. that, um, you know, I think I told you I have been through a lot of trauma. I even have another podcast called Thanks, It's the Trauma. Mm. And in that, what I learned in life is that, you know, there's trauma naive when you have just never experienced anything traumatic in your life. And then something traumatic happens and that's your first trauma. And it is, it is, there's gravity to that. It's very mm-hmm. big, no matter what it is. It's very Mm -hmm. big. And then um, I would say, like, unfortunately, what I've discovered as I've continued to age is that more and more traumas continue, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we lose people that we love. Bad things happen to us and to people that we love. And so that being naive to trauma was a fun place to be in (laughs) for as long as possible. But then... 
I feel like it gives you a roadmap for grief. That's what I've at least found in the stories in which of the individuals I've interviewed, like you, Hannah, in my own story, that um, almost like Brian, the grieving of Brian gave you a roadmap for grieving because you, the first thing that you said, Hannah, was about gratitude. We looked at each other in the park and we had each other. And most trauma survivors will tell you, and we're going through sad things, like if you can just find the gratitude, you're going to be okay. You know, Mm -hmm. when I um, had been through some some losses and some traumatic experiences, I just remember laying in bed saying, God, these are the three things that I am thankful for. Like you, I mean... I shouldn't probably blame it on God for all the things that were taken away from me, but the things that were taken away from me, I'm going to grieve, but I'm going to sit here in appreciation and gratitude. And every day, if I could find three things, I knew I was going to be okay, you know? And so I love that you and Luke said, we have each other and we're going to try again. Yeah. And they're just such different losses too. I mean, the, yeah, the, the, you you really can't compare these things. So yeah, it, it, I would say with the miscarriage, the emotional side to it, it was hard for sure. But uh, I would say the physical side, which I'll talk about next was um, where I would say that this was a traumatic experience. Okay. So, so did they give you the option for a DNC or did they like, or taking side attack um, or yeah. m- miscarrying naturally at home? Like, were you given options? Yes. So my midwife, the midwife on the phone, it was actually the student midwife that called us. She said there was a few options. We could either go to our, my family doctor and get a medication, which I'm guessing is the one you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Yep. That would misoprostol side attack. It kind of helps the uterus to contract. Yeah. So we could go and we could do that and we could move the process along or we could go home and we could just let it happen naturally. She said, the fact that you have been bleeding for a few days makes me think that the process has started. So, um, we, I mean, going to my doctor at that moment just was the last thing I wanted to do. So we decided that we were going to just go home, think about it, touch base the next day mm-hmm. and come up with a plan. Okay. So we went home. We, you know, there, there was this, I remember this feeling of just like, we didn't really know what to do with ourselves. We were like, oh, like our whole plan for the next year is just like completely out the window. Like how we envisioned the rest of our life going is now just gone. And like, what, I just go back to work now. And I just, you know, I, you know, it it felt so strange in that way, but I still was feeling physically fine. And yeah, we just went home and we spent the evening together. We woke up, then I woke up the next morning and I still felt fine. I had taken the day off work. I took the next two days off work and Luke had a meeting at work that he had to go to. So he decided he was going to go to that meeting and he would come home at lunchtime or in the afternoon. And at that point, we had no clue what was coming. And this is the one part that I think the midwife, it was a student midwife. And when we touched base later with my actual midwife and had a debrief, she apologized and said that she was going to have a talk with the student midwife because she should have warned us what a miscarriage could be like. She could have told us, you know, she, she, she said to us that there probably will be a bit more bleeding and I might feel some cramping. That was how she explained it. What happened was completely, completely different. Yeah. So we were very naive in that way. And had we known, Luke would have had his phone on him the whole time. He would have not gone into work. I would have had support ready to come at any moment. Instead, what happened was I miscarried completely alone. Completely alone. Oh, Hannah. And yeah. and that's why we're recording this podcast today. Yes, exactly. Because thank you for being vulnerable to go through this and to share what what this experience was like. I am a full spectrum doula. My clients hire me, like I said, when they're four weeks along. 
25% of my clients are going to miscarry before we, you know, get to, everyone said, should we wait till 12 or 15 weeks to hire you? I'm like, no, because I want to be there by your side if something happens, right? It's really important, especially if we don't have choices. I know you're in Canada. I don't know how much you guys are watching the news. I'm recording oh, yeah. this in oh, yeah. <laughs> August, 2022, right? I just asked you if you had choices and you said yes, because choices are being taken away from us. Women are being forced to have to do what we're about, yes. we're about to hear about versus going for a DNC or a DNE, which is an abortion. And I think people don't know that that is an abortion. Mm-hmm. And if you have a loss and you choose a medical procedure instead of miscarrying at home as a, it, you have to consent to an abortion, um, even though, you know, the fetus or the baby is not alive. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm glad that you had choices and I'm really thankful that you're willing to share this experience so people can make an informed decision mm-hmm. um, and have the care that they need to surround them. Mm-hmm. So you're all alone and what happened? Yeah. So Luke leaves for work. I'm feeling pretty normal. I actually was just about to go on a run. I was, I had, I just put my running clothes on and then all of a sudden I felt this kind of like cramp feeling. I was like, that's weird. Oh, okay. And then a few minutes later it happened again and it was like really intense that time. And I had to kind of lean over on the bed. So I took my running clothes off right away, realized I'm not going on a run. I, I texted Luke telling him at that point, mm, something just happened and I, and I didn't hear anything back. And then it just kind of started to progress, progress, progress. And I was getting these really intense cramps in my stomach so much so that I was like involuntarily like, like on all fours and I felt like this is what happens when people are in labor. I had no idea what labor was like, but I was making these weird sounds. I remember thinking like, who is this person? I was, I started shaking violently and then sweating and then shaking and then sweating. I started vomiting. I remember when I started vomiting, I thought to myself, because I'd heard so many birth stories and I hadn't heard that many miscarriage stories. I remember thinking, is this, is this transition? Like, am I in transition of a miscarriage? Yes. Yes, yeah, you was, were. It was so strange. And so this whole time I'm texting Luke and not hearing anything back. I call him, nothing. Turns out he is in a meeting and he didn't have his phone with him. I try calling his office. All the phone lines are down at his office, which like never happens. There was no way for me to contact him. I finally, one of my friends um, who's actually a doula herself, she had been over the night before and I had told her that I, or not, sorry, two nights before, before I had the ultrasound. And we had talked very openly about the fact that I may be having a miscarriage. And she was the only person that said to me, you know, miscarriages can be really intense sometimes. Like you can, you can like vomit. I remember her saying that to me and it was just kind of passing in a conversation, but had it not been for that, I think I would have called 911 thinking I was dying because I really was I was so, I had no clue what was going on. And this, Hannah, is because you were forced into an, not you weren't forced in the United States right now with Mm Roe v. Wade. We are being forced into unmedicated deliveries, labors and deliveries of our, you know, everyone has a different term, baby, fetus, Mm -hmm. growing, you know, it's, it's a lot and I think that that needs to be explained that the, that when we have the choice, I wish your student midwife had said, you're going to go into a labor. It is typically a shorter period of time, not 24 hours of labor, mm-hmm. but it is first stage labor, second stage of labor, a little bit of a third stage of labor. There is a transition. There is often sometimes like a grunting or a bearing down, like mm-hmm. the uh, the fetal ejection reflex of your body, you know, letting go and vomiting, like you said, shaking, bleeding. Yeah. And it's, we shouldn't be alone. 
it was, and so this friend of mine, she, she checked in, like, how are you just at that moment? And I, I messaged her and said, I can't get a hold of Luke. This is happening. And she was at this event and she messaged me and said, I'm on my way. I'm coming. And she was just ready to hop in her car and come over. But just at that moment, when she did that, Luke calls me and he's like, what's going on? And I told him what was happening. And he was like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. So I told her, don't worry, Luke's on on his way. And it was at that point that I knew that he was coming and I knew that he was just going to get home as quickly as he could, that it got so intense. And I remember thinking to myself, I remember at one point I was, was like, where is he? Like, where is he? And I looked at my clock and it had been like three minutes. I was like, Oh God. And I was, it just kind of continued with that. I was vomiting. I was shaking. I was collapsing on the floor. I tried to make it to the washroom, but I only got halfway before I was just kind of in the fetal position on the floor. It was, it was crazy. And then at one point I just realized it had been like, a minute or two since my last contraction. And I hadn't had another one. And just at that moment, I hear the door downstairs click and Luke comes running up the stairs and I was just on the bed and I was kind of just collapsed on the bed and he lay down on the bed next to me and he just, or behind me. And he just like wrapped his arms around me. And that was it. That was the end. He had missed the entire thing to the minute. and. I remember thinking like, how could I explain to him how intense that had been? Cause he just hadn't really seen it, any of it. And I was just crying and he was so upset and he, oh my goodness, he felt so bad. I didn't, I had absolutely no anger at him at all. And I felt, cause I, I would have done the same. I think I would have gone on a run without my phone. Like we just didn't realize that that was a possibility. We just we weren't prepared for that. And like labor, we don't know when it's coming. Exactly. You, yeah. it's, it's birth is unexpected, whether it's birth in a miscarriage or birth at full term pregnancy or birth in between. I mean, it's unpredictable. We don't know if it, what time of day it's going to be or how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. Exactly. How long and, did it last? Yeah, it's a good question. And I wish I had the actual answer and I, I wish I had documented it. I think probably the whole thing was an hour max. Okay. It wasn't that long. The time from when Luke left work to got home was about 25 minutes. Okay. He booted it home. Um, and I'd say there was probably a good half an hour before I got in touch with him. Okay. So I think that's about how long it was. At that point, I went to the the washroom and I sat down on the toilet. And that was when there was just this like plop and it something just dropped out of me. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of yelped and Luke came running in and we just looked into the toilet and it was just the toilet was all red. So we couldn't see anything. And we just kind of like looked at each other and we didn't really know what to do. And then we just like flushed the toilet. <laughs> yeah, And that was it. That was the end. You know, I mean, you're one of a million people that had to flush the toilet. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry you weren't prepared for that. And I'm so thankful that we're recording this so that anyone will be prepared. And hopefully, we move to where all countries, there's a choice. Mm-hmm. An alternative to this, this, this is, would have been somewhat okay if there was preparation and support, if you weren't Absolutely. alone, right? Just like labor, right? Labor is better when you have a partner or a doula or midwife people around you. It's better. Um, but there is always right now, at least in most countries you could, there are many countries doing DNCs and DNEs. So we don't have to flush the toilet. Um, but it's not always what people choose. Doesn't and feel right. So when we, yeah, when we talked to my midwife after when we were debriefing about it and I told her kind of what had happened and how really, I mean, it was excruciating. And now that I've actually been through labor and given birth, hands down, 100%, the miscarriage was more painful. Mm-hmm. 
no doubt in my mind. And of course, that's due to so many things, support, being educated, being prepared, all those things play into it. Mm -hmm. But I remember saying to her, because I left that miscarriage with this, like, I remember thinking, I never am going to get pregnant again. Like, there's no way I'm doing this. Like, that's it. If we want a kid, we're adopting. Like, there was no chance I was letting that happen again. And, you know, my midwife said, the first thing she said was, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you call me when this was happening? And I kind of was like, I didn't know I was allowed to. Like, I didn't even know that that was, it sounds so ridiculous now saying it, because of course I should have called her, of course. But in the moment, I remember thinking like, well, I'm out of her care. Like, I'm not pregnant anymore. Like, that was, that was my thought process. And it's ridiculous, of course, but I didn't even think of calling her. It wasn't even on my mind. And this is one of the reasons, Hannah, that you're being called to birth work, you know, because something was born inside of you that was like this, I'm not going to let this happen to someone else. Yeah, totally. And that's why I really was like, if I ever share my birth story, I want to share the miscarriage story. Yeah. Before we move to your birth story, Mm -hmm. is there anything else that you feel like is not said about that loss? No, I think we've, I think we've really covered through that. Yeah. It, and, you know, after that, that feeling, you know, I was able to really debrief with my midwife. We had a really long, she chatted with me for both of us for over an hour and really tried to calm my fears about childbirth and how it would be different and, or it could be different. And um, I remember feeling more supported after that, but, and, and she was, she took accountability that they had messed up, that she was going to have a talk with the student midwife and that that wouldn't happen again to anyone else. And that felt really good. Um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Did you continue to bleed after the contractions stopped? Yes. For how long? I did. Not that long. I can't remember. It was only a day or two. I remember feeling totally normal really quickly. Okay. Really quickly. A day or two later. I'd stopped bleeding and I felt fine. It was, that was the strangest thing. And did you have to go to have an ultrasound to make sure that everything had cleared? No, we didn't. She said from the sound of it, from how I had explained it, it sounded like everything was normal. Um, we, she gave us, I can't remember exactly what it was, but she gave us some things to watch for. Mm -hmm. Um, if anything, I think it was, you know, if I was still bleeding after a certain amount of time, if there was clots, there were some things that she, that she had told us to look for, but I stopped bleeding really quickly. And I actually got my period a month later, like right away. Okay. And that is very normal. In fact, we're quite fertile right after a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two clients that um, had hired me just this year. And ironically, they had hired me and had a miscarriage and then called me back and were pregnant with twins. Twice. Twice this happened within just a few months. And I'm just like, and one set of twins has been born and then the other set is due. And um, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but due in December of 2022. And it's just crazy how hyper fertile you can be right after a miscarriage, you know? So within four weeks, you had a normal cycle again. And I think that's something that's important to share too about miscarriage is that you're, after the contractions stop, the bleeding should slow the bleeding should come to an end. If the bleeding doesn't come to an end or there are any big clots, you should go get an ultrasound to make sure there's no tissue left inside of the uterus that's causing the uterus to not come clamp back down and pass completely. And if that's the case, then they usually will finish a natural miscarriage with a DNC or a DNE to remove any of that tissue so that the uterus is fully cleared. So within a few days, you should stop bleeding. Um, And then within a few weeks to a month, you should resume cycling again, um, as you normally did. Some people don't even make it to their first period because they're pregnant again. (laughs) And she had said to us, you know, there's no hard and fast rule about how long you need to wait after having a miscarriage. But she said, 
I recommend that you let at least one period go. And I remember hearing that thinking, one, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, I mean. You were like, how about a hundred? Because I'm going to adopt now. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. We're done. That was it. One and done. So did you tell Luke like, we're so don't like, don't have sex with me or we're going back on birth control. Were you just like, no. Yeah. I was like, there's no way we're having sex ever again. That's what I told him. I told him we're never having sex again. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm sure he took that very well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but Isadore is here. Yeah. So, so, um, how long, like what, tell me that story, like after loss to Isadore. So we had a period, I had another period, I had two periods. And I remember by the second period, all those feelings started to fade a little bit more. And I also was doing a lot of um, talking about it. I have like a really great support system. One of my best friends, I remember just debriefing with her so much. And we had a little, um, two of my friends, they created this little ceremony for us. We had a fire, we like burnt some stuff. We really, um, like processed the experience. So those feelings did start to fade. And then the desire to have a baby just started to grow, grow, grow until it overcame that fear around having sex and the fear around having another miscarriage. And I think it was three or four months later, we got pregnant. Okay. Much quicker than I thought. And, and intentionally. And intentionally. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, yeah. how did you feel this time? Yeah. So this time, again, it was, it was complicated for different reasons, but I was just so happy. I was just so, so happy. and. I remember feeling like, that's it. We're pregnant again. Like, this is it. This is the time. And Luke was so much more tentative. And he was kind of like, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. And I started, I was getting annoyed at him. Luke, this is really good. Like, this is exciting. He was like, I'm just really nervous to get excited again. He was much more nervous to get excited. Had he been to some counseling or something to process the loss? He had it at this point. No. Okay. And definitely a good idea, Luke, if you're listening, probably not kidding. <laughs> it's never, no, we talked about it's it. never too late, Luke, <laughs> to process kidding. loss. <laughs> um, no, we, we did, we did talk about it a lot. And, and I, I was actually reading through like old journals that I had around that time to prep for this. And one of the things that I wrote a lot about was a real like closeness that we felt and, a lot um, of going deeper in our relationship through this process. It really did bring us closer together. And um, we were able to like really talk and work through that together. And I was really grateful for that. And this pregnancy, it just felt so different. I was so nauseous. I was so like, I felt like carsick all day. I did no appetite. It was just a completely different experience from the first. So it was easier for me to feel excited about it because I felt like I was pregnant. Okay. So you felt like how you thought you were supposed to feel. Like it exactly. felt like it felt like you were aligned. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And I remember in the first pregnancy, in my first pregnancy, thinking, I just really can't connect to this baby. Like there was something about it. I just couldn't connect. So another feeling that I had after the miscarriage was kind of a validating feeling because I had had these feelings that something was wrong or something wasn't right. There was this small part of me that felt a bit validated that I was right, that I was, I could trust my intuition mm-hmm. and I could trust myself. So that like enabled me in this pregnancy when I felt so connected to this growing baby so much so that the night before I tested positive, we were lying in bed, me and Luke. And I remember turning to him and saying, there's a third person in this room. Like there's a third person. And he was kind of like, okay. (laughs) And then the next morning I was positive test. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's like goose bumpy. I had that same sensation the morning after we had sex. I had ovulated for the first time and we had sex. And in the morning we were eating cheese grits and they tasted different. 
And I'm very in tune with my body. And I looked at my husband and I was like, you definitely got me pregnant. Like Mm -hmm. I am pregnant. And he was like 15 hours ago. Like, okay. And I was, I was absolutely, I could just, everything just was different. It's like, not everyone experiences that, but sometimes there's this knowing, you know? Exactly. And that's exactly how I felt. I just knew. Yeah. So Hannah, we are going to continue this conversation in part two. In the next podcast episode, there was a need for your miscarriage story to be its own story to share with the audience with a deep understanding of what this could be like. And so I want to honor the time for Isidore's birth story. So we're going to record that in part two. Everyone stick around and listen to Isidore's story with Hannah in this redemptive birth. We're going to talk about home birth and home birth transfer in the next episode. See you then. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 